Welcome to the Something Patriots podcast, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, a podcast where we talk a little something about the Somerset Patriots. 27 up and 27 down for Teasley. Warning track, oh, Home run for Corey Aldridge, his third blast of the game. Good evening, Somerset Patriots and Atlantic League fans, and welcome to episode number 19 of Patriots Check-In, and we've got a really exciting one for you today. I'm super excited to get this conversation going. My name is Mark Schwartz, and tonight I have the pleasure of being joined alongside Rick White, the Atlantic League president. Rick, thank you so much for taking some time tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. It's a pleasure to be with you. I do have to ask you, number 19, I, I couldn't have cracked the top 10. <laughs> well, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that our fans were uh, in tune with some Somerset Patriots stuff going on, and, and we figured right now seemed to feel like a really good time to have you on with everything going on in baseball. I'm um, flattered to be here. Thanks again. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem at all, Rick. Um, a couple of things for our fans, reminders. Uh, this conversation is going to go similar to the way that our other conversations have gone with our previous 18 episodes. Uh, so please feel free to comment on this video with your questions for Rick. Uh, we're going to get to those questions likely at the end of the conversation. There's a number of topics that we want to discuss, uh, so we'll probably run through those first. But please continue to ask your questions uh, because we will save those for the end. We'll try to get to as many questions uh, as our time permits. Uh, also, a reminder for our fans that tonight's episode of Patriots Check-In is presented by our sponsor right here, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield New Jersey, uh, proud longtime sponsors of the Somerset Patriots. So we'll talk a little bit about Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield New Jersey uh, later in the show. Uh, but for now, let's get into it. Let's talk about everything that's going on with the Somerset Patriots, with the Atlantic League, with minor league baseball. Uh, again, Rick, I really appreciate you taking some time tonight. Um, so let's start with the Atlantic League. I think a lot of our fans are curious. You know, this year, 2020, was a year unlike any other that we have experienced um, in baseball and really, you know, in the world. A lot of stuff happened that wasn't necessarily planned. And unfortunately, the Atlantic League season uh, was not played in full in 2020. Um, can you provide a bit of an update for our fans to just the overall state of the Atlantic League and, and how some of the teams are doing and how they were able to sort of work through what was certainly an unorthodox 2020? I'm absolutely delighted to. Let me start, though, by saying that first and foremost, for anybody viewing this or anybody listening to this uh, collectively, the entire league, not just yours truly, not just the league office, but the entire league, uh, is greatly concerned about their community. I know some viewers have suffered through this pandemic and we think of them and, and first and foremost, our hearts go out to them. Moving past that, this has been a year unlike any I think we'll ever experience again, uh, certainly unlike any in our lives. But uh, I'm delighted to say that despite the pandemic, we have so many bright spots we can talk about throughout the league, whether it's in Gastonia, North Carolina, in Bridgewater Township, New Jersey, Long Island, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Sugar Land, Texas. It's, it's been an incredible year for a couple of reasons. First, 
because of the financial wherewithal of our owners and our clubs, they have proven to be durable. They have proven to be not just good community citizens, but good employers and good family citizens. And uh, that's a really important thing for us to recognize at a time when so many people have suffered through difficulties in terms of economics or in terms of homing, uh, housing and so forth. Second, um, because of that financial durability, our teams have been able to pivot and do some really interesting things. Um, it isn't just about drive-in movies, food drives, and, and picking up uh, restaurant quality food at our ballparks. It's also about the charity that our teams have exhibited and the concern they've uh, exhibited for all of their, their community. And it isn't just about baseball fans, it's about the people that live near and dear to our clubs. Uh, in the case of the Patriots, they did a terrific job at the earliest possible time in bringing top-notch baseball to the community. And as we know, uh, in, in Sugarland, they were able to deliver the Constellation League featuring four teams uh, in their community. I'm delighted to share, as your viewers probably know, that in either spot, we did not suffer one case of COVID-19 with any uniform personnel. That says a great deal about the safety and the precautions and the wellness that was top of mind with our clubs. But moreover, um, I've been so impressed with the creativity and innovation of every single team, whether it's hosting a Yom Kippur celebration, uh, Yom Kippur, pardon me, um, in your ballpark, or doing other things with reading clubs, with charitable food and uh, fundraising drives, with ways to have people in the ballpark appropriately distanced watching movies on family movie nights, or if it's just bringing other diamond sports to the community, whether it's clinics, Little League and other amateur baseball games, I know in a couple of our ballparks, we had a couple of high school and travel team tournaments, all of which have helped build resiliency and keep our clubs top of mind. So it's been a year of great pride in the midst of great tragedy. Uh, and I have to tell you, I've been um, flattered and proud to be the captain of the ship this year, probably more than any other. Uh, there was a very exciting announcement that was made in September uh, regarding the future of the Atlantic League uh, becoming the first announced designated partner league of Major League Baseball. Um, so without me reading off the press release directly, I feel like it would be a little bit more beneficial for our fans if you can sort of talk us through what this designation for the Atlantic League as a partner league of Major League Baseball means and how that sort of came to be. You know, we, we announced something in September and people have a sense that sometimes these things are automatic or they don't take a great deal of time. They just kind of happen overnight. That isn't the way things work, especially in the world of professional baseball. We have been working actively for six years with the baseball commissioner's office to both raise our brand exposure but at the same time, to educate the commissioner's office and all of Major League Baseball about Atlantic League Baseball and how we're different and then in ways uh, how we're similar to the game at its highest levels. Uh, I remember uh, 
discussion early on with then Rob Manfred, now Commissioner Manfred, that involved the founding partners of the league, including, <clears throat> excuse me, Steve Califer, uh, Frank Bolton, our chairman, uh, and others who had been around for the very beginning. We've come from that place to one where starting with a working agreement that we created the architecture for very early on to a place where we became partners with MLB in 2019 on test rules and equipment initiatives. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, then most recently, not just an extension of that agreement, but the designation as a partner league. We will forever be the first Major League Baseball partner league. And again, this is the result of a great deal of hard work. Most recently, and again in this world, most recently in person was in January. Jonathan Califer, representing the club and yours truly, were amongst 18 or so Major League Baseball leaders talking specifically about the Partner League. And so the Califer family, not only through its constant support and its constant forward-looking um, organization, but in conjunction with the board, and most recently in January, our last meeting in person with Major League Baseball, has had a key role in that designation. And all Somerset fans should take a great deal of pride knowing that the Califers, the Patriots, and the, the league itself didn't do this selfishly. They did it to create the noteworthiness of a, a league that deserves the note of all fans everywhere. And they did it unselfishly because they know that designation gives us a formal recognition that all of our fans will recognize wherever we're playing ball. Last year, we the, the Atlantic League announced a partnership with Major League Baseball. It was a groundbreaking partnership. It brought a lot of attention, unprecedented amount of attention uh, to the league, to the Somerset Patriots, uh, media from all corners of the country. Everyone, it seemed like everyone was talking about the Atlantic League at different moments. And it was, it was a thrilling year to be a part of. Um, and now this year, and looking at the press release, it specifically mentions that this is an expansion upon the previous uh, partnership. So can you talk a little bit about whether or not fans would see or can expect to see anything different on the field with this expansion? Or, or just maybe specify if there is anything that, that Patriots fans and Atlantic League fans can expect to see with this new designation? I think, I think they're going to note a number of things throughout the ballpark, not just on the field. But let's start with, with on-field items. First and foremost, we will continue with the test rules and initiatives. And chief amongst those will be the continuing uh, interest around automated balls and strikes. I'm at a point now where I am quite confident that this is, this is ultimately going to reach Major League Baseball. What a testimony that is to all of our clubs, all of our uniform personnel, including coaches and managers who supported this last year and went through a very steep learning curve in the second half of the season. I would be remiss if I didn't recognize our umpires. They have a special skill set that not too many professionals have. And increasingly, they're being called upon by major league umpires to ask them informally, hey, what's it like? Tell me what, what you're experiencing there. And that's a special fraternity. But imagine an Atlantic League umpire 
having that kind of dialogue with a major league baseball umpire. It's a pretty special thing. Second thing we're going to see on the field this year, and again, this is really consistent with expansion, a little different than most people would think, but you're going to see a brand new set of uniforms in TD Bank Ballpark. Uh, during the midst of a worldwide pandemic, we announced that we are playing baseball in Gastonia, North Carolina in 2021 and moving forward. And we've done so with partners that are remarkable. We bring to this discussion the first African-American majority owner in a professional baseball team in well over 50 years. We bring a Southern geography, which we believe is important in terms of our ongoing footprint. And we bring, as I said before, new players into the fold. Uh, we have discussions going on now on the expansion side with a number of other communities. Uh, these are expansion conversations that will move forward regardless of any major league baseball action. And the reason I say that is more and more investors are seeing the validity and the rapidly rising enterprise values in our league. And that's a great tribute, again, to our clubs and everybody associated with this. Off the field, I think we're going to see some things that are really exciting. Our new partnership with Major League Baseball will bring to the, to the discussion and ultimately the implementation things like digital assets that they can share with us, uh, reference and we believe interest with Major League Baseball television, certain advantages on shared sponsorship, licensing, merchandising, and other ways that the look and feel of our game is going to be enhanced and it's going to be spread to a much wider audience with much more um, significant investment in terms of digital assets and those rights, all of which will begin to unfold as we move into the new year. There's a lot of exciting stuff in there, and I want to touch on all of it. <laughs> and I think a lot of our fans, I mean, I honestly, Rick, I get goosebumps having this conversation. It's such an exciting time to be in minor league baseball. It's such an exciting time to be a part of the Atlantic League. Uh, so all of this just gets me so excited. And I so appreciate you taking the time to go into detail about some of this stuff. Uh, well, it's a pleasure. And um, I will tell you, we are very flattered to be in the presence of our friends and partners at Major League Baseball. Um, they've given us a front row seat to the future of the game. And the fact that we can influence the game at the, its very highest level should be something all fans take keen interest in as they come to Atlantic League games moving ahead. Mm. I want to get into that um, because there was a number of rules last year. You mentioned uh, automated balls and strikes, uh, which you mentioned uh, will continue this year. And you, you, you could see that becoming uh, certainly a part of Major League Baseball um, in the future, uh, which I think is very exciting. Uh, and especially it's a, it's a nice nod to the Atlantic League. I want to get to expansion in a bit. I certainly want to talk about Gastonia in a bit. Um, but in regards to some of the other rules, there was, by my count, I believe it was seven or eight rules that were implemented last year. Um, you know, of course, the automated balls and strikes, but there was the no mound visit rules, which I personally, as a broadcaster, really enjoyed. Um, <laughs> I, had a good, I had a good time with that. Uh, actually, a lot of these I, I really enjoyed. Um, the, the, the cut down time in between innings, I, I certainly enjoyed that. Um, and there's a lot of 
interesting new strategies that were implemented with, you know, the being able to have one foul ball on a bunt with, uh, with two strikes. The, uh, of course, the quote-unquote steal first base rule that, that certainly gained a lot of popularity. Um, I'm sure that there's ongoing conversations with Major League Baseball uh, about rules for next year. I'm sure they have some more rules in their pockets uh, that haven't been announced yet, and I know you probably can't speak to those too much. Uh, but can you speak at all to some of the other rules that were new to the Atlantic League last year, um, how they were viewed in terms of being successful, and if you can speak to at all whether or not fans can expect to see some of those rules in 2021? Absolutely, Mark. And the, the short answer is yes. They'll see some rules continue. Uh, they've already seen some rules implemented at the big league level this season. I mean, how cool is that? We start in 2019 and in 2020, they're playing Major League Baseball with rules that we prospected and pioneered. Uh, the minimum three batter per pitcher rule is now in the big leagues. The extra inning playoff rule um, uh, was in the regular season of uh, Major League Baseball, that's exactly the way we handled it as well. Uh, you'll recall uh, our work with in, uh, intentional base on balls made its way to the big leagues that's as well. Right. So we're really proud of that pioneering. We will likely continue with um, most of the things I'm going to recite. And again, this is as fresh as uh, February. Uh, since then, Major League Baseball's had a few other things they've had to think <laughs> about. But we do know that things are anticipating but those rules that we anticipate coming back, given their notice back in February, are the stolen first base rule, uh, more tweaking with bunts and foul bunts, um, more use of technology on the field. I'm not at liberty to go much further than that, but it's something that we think is pretty interesting. They will tweak but not materially change the automated balls and strikes, as I mentioned before, but we're going to play around with the strike zone just a little bit to make it a little less three-dimensional and a little bit more predictable for batters. Uh, we will have continuing improvements to not just umpire improvement, uh, pardon me, umpire communication, but additional facts that they will be hearing in those earpieces that we all know they wear. Uh, I, we will probably not go forward with any anti-shift rules. We will probably make revisions to the set and delivery to home plate with pitchers with a man on base. Yeah. Um, those are the ones that, that leap out at me. And again, they have a couple of tricks up their sleeve. That's a, probably a poor way to describe them. <laughs> but one of the things I should remind people about is, they are in the Atlantic League because of our high quality of play. We have always bragged that we are a 4A quality of play. Now, somebody can debate that or not, and, and it's a fun argument, but it doesn't really need to go much further than a fun debate. What is immutable, however, is that Major League Baseball chose us to engineer these new rules because, one, we are not in the business of developing players. We are in the business of featuring mature, top-notch, high-quality players, and that's why we send and transfer so many players back to big league organizations each year. Mm. And two, our players come, come to play every night. They play hard. They play to win. They know their performance is being evaluated 
every single day by Major League Baseball, and they want to get back to the show. Well, you mentioned something interesting there, uh, and it's sort of my last question in regards to rules with this new partnership, but it's specific to the process of purchasing contracts. That's, of mm -hmm. course, been such a huge component of the Atlantic League and um, a lot of independent baseball, but specific to the Atlantic League for a long time, and that was increased with last year's partnership. Um, you know, both through the use of the TrackMan service, the uh, the shared usage of statistics that would give uh, greater um, uh, access for scouts and different teams at a major league level. Uh, can fans, and I guess more so for players, can they expect anything different with this new designation of a partner league in regards to the process of purchasing contracts, or is the expectation it'll run virtually the same as it has been? There will be a twist, but this takes a diehard fan to really interpret. Major League Baseball, as you know, Mark, reduced the number of rounds in their amateur draft this year to five. Next year, they will move that number of rounds to 20, but they're never going to have more than 20 rounds of amateur draft. What most of your viewers probably don't know is that the preponderance of players being drafted by MLB these days are players who come out of college after their third year of eligibility. That has been steadily rising over the years where just a few years ago it was in the 40 percentile. Now nearly 60% of all players drafted are college players coming out after their junior year. Add another seven to eight percent with players coming out after their senior year and add to that players coming out of community college. And again, that's another five to six points. So by the time you're done, somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 72 percent of players are coming out of college have lots of international players being drafted. Now you have fewer high school players being drafted now. But where I'm headed with this is to talk about what happens after the 20th round of a draft. In 2019, there were 40 rounds of the amateur draft. 40 rounds against 30 teams gave you roughly 1,200 players. That's good math. And in fact, 1,217 players were drafted in 2019. This year, that number goes down to 150. Next year, though, it will go to 600 players. Here's the fun part to think about. <laughs> what happens to the next 600 players between rounds 20 and 40? And what we know is that those players are going to be discovered by what was heretofore called independent professional baseball teams. Now they're going to be called partner leagues. Mm. And we now know, if you just look at a player like Mike Piazza or in this market, Don Mattingly, they were all drafted well outside of the 20th round. Keith Hernandez is another local player, same thing. They know at Major League Baseball's offices that there will be an alternative roadmap to get to big league baseball. And it's going to lead through leagues like the Frontier League, the American Association, and the Atlantic League. And that is an exciting thing to contemplate because the players on Atlantic League fields next year 
not only continue to have a great chance to be signed by big league organizations, but in future years, we're going to see more players worth more opportunity to also get to the big leagues where they use us as a jumping off point to big league baseball, as opposed to a transfer point to big league organizations. So that sounds fascinating to me. I, I do have one quick follow-up on that. Yep. Is there going to be a process in place? Because generally speaking, I think a lot of people that have followed independent baseball for a long time tend to understand the hierarchy in, in regards to where the Atlantic League stands in, in comparison to the American Association Frontier League. All three leagues sort of having different roles to play with diff- players at different stages of their career. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Frontier League has generally been geared more towards younger players. Um, The American Association in a similar mold, maybe slightly older, and then, of course, the Atlantic League, more experienced players. Um, With this new crop of 600-plus potential drafted players that are now going to be available, is there a framework in place provided by Major League Baseball to say, you know, Frontier League gets first crack, hypothetically, because they've been geared more towards younger players in the past or Atlantic league gets first crack because they are a league that has a bit of a higher esteem. Um, Can can you speak to that at all? We're working on it. Okay. (laughs) What we're doing is we, we have spoken at some length with major league about, about major league baseball about this. I would add to the discussion leagues that most of our fans haven't heard about, the Pecos League, uh, the United Shore Professional Baseball League. They're not partner leagues. I'm not sure Major League Baseball contemplates them becoming partner leagues. But we are keenly interested in this. We do believe generally in the ascendancy that you just laid out for your viewers. But we have a plan. We're actively discussing that plan right now with Major League Baseball. We have some partners who are not necessarily, we obviously want to embrace all partner leagues and all professional baseball leagues. That's, we've always had that position. But we have some partners uh, that every one of your viewers would be familiar with. And we believe that they can help us get to a point of where we do something really special in terms of player development. Well, let's really, really special. We we could put a pin in that for now, but I think mm-hmm. I think both of us agree, and as would our viewers tonight, that that is another chapter to a very exciting book that's being written about this partnership and where it's going. You know, when, when people ask me about the league, I always give them the number of teams and the players and the transfers and, and, and a number of other facts like that. But people really want to know what we stand for. And, and one of the things I constantly talk about is our ability to be forward thinking and to influence the game. Do you know that until two thousand and 17, we didn't have one artifact in the Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. Now we have three. One has to do with our red and blue seamed baseball. One has to do with automated balls and strikes and the communications equipment that we used last year. One has to do with cleats that were used with the first steal of first base. If you couple that to some of the rules we talked about that are being utilized by MLB at its highest level now, I think people begin to 
realize that the Atlantic League, which was overlooked by so many people for so long, especially in affiliated minor league baseball, has had more influence over its 25 years of existence than many leagues have had for 50, 60, 75 years worth of existence. Now, it's all good. And the purpose of most professional baseball leagues is something that is unique to each of those leagues. So we respect all of them and we root for all of them. But the idea that our league, only 25 years old and only having played 23 real seasons, can have this amount of dramatic influence on the game as it moves forward, I think validates the premise that we're forward thinking and innovative. And it's great testimony to the Patriots and seven other teams in the league. I, I would agree. I, you know, as somebody who's been involved with this league, I guess, since 2014, uh, when I was an intern with the Long Island Ducks before I started with the Somerset Patriots, uh, it's been thrilling to be a part of it, to see the, the, the progress that has been made, the, uh, the accolades that we've received, uh, now the, you know, the elements that are in the Baseball Hall of Fame, all the media attention, it's been, it's been fun. It's been, yep. it's been a lot of fun. Um, we tried to get your ball, you know, the ball you caught last year. In <laughs> it was a truly unique moment. Uh, they're still debating whether or not to, to have that become part of their permanent collection. <laughs> Don't lose that baseball, Mark. <laughs> oh, boy. I wasn't going to bring it up. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm your biggest fan. I got to bring it up. <laughs> well, th- thank you. I appreciate the kind words, Rick. Thank you. <laughs> All right, back to our conversation. Rick, you mentioned a little bit earlier, I do certainly want to talk about Gastonia. Um, There's a lot of exciting stuff going on with Gastonia and expansion in the Atlantic League as a whole. Uh, But let's start with Gastonia. Um, I'm specific, I'm interested in two things um, in regards to that right now. One, uh, how the conversations and how the ultimate partnership with Gastonia was formed. And then your thoughts on the significance of uh, Brandon Bellamy and that ownership group being the first uh, black majority ownership group in professional baseball. You know, I go back to something I said a few moments ago. None of these things happen quickly. They take a lot of work. Um, Your viewers don't know that until recently, uh, I was a permanent uh, resident of Colorado. My wife and I recently relocated permanently to New York City. But for the last two and a half years, I've been calling upon the city of Gastonia. Uh, It was an easy extension from our previous discussions with High Point, who joined the league last year. Uh, We were referred to Gastonia by our friends in High Point. And at that time, Gastonia had an idea of what they wanted to do, but they really didn't know how to bring that into being because they didn't know who could play in a ballpark that would anchor a downtown redevelopment as the city goes through a huge spurt of growth and a renaissance in terms of redefining itself and who they are. Uh, What we did was we shared with them the success of the Somerset Patriots, the Long Island Ducks, the Lancaster Barnstormers and others in terms of Here's the impact these organizations on, have on their community. Here's the impact they have on development around the ballpark. Here is how they provide a recreational benefit 
and a community recreational asset that most people never really truly think about. And here is how they bring people together, not just for diamond sports, but for many, many, many other events that they can host in their facilities. That was transformative for Gastonia for a couple of reasons. Number one, they love our level of baseball. They want professional baseball in Gastonia. Number two, they were foreclosed with National Association territorial rules from getting an affiliated club. So we provided an answer to their challenge. Third, they materially changed their plan for the ballpark based on our input. Hmm. And this is a ballpark designed not just for diamond sports, hardball, softball, professional and amateur, but also designed to host field events. It will be a full artificial surface field. If you go to our website, you can actually see the progress in Gastonia. The field is in, the ballpark's gonna be ready largely by Thanksgiving, but we know we'll have some tweaks, but we know that we could play baseball there on January 1st if we wanted to. The field will be intimate. We're only going to have eight rows on the lower bowl. We are not gonna have suites. We will have meeting spaces, but we're going to have a great many non-traditional viewpoints with a walk around concourse where we have learned from 25 years of experience, starting with TD Bank Ballpark, how to engineer a field and how to have fans feel as if they can reach out and touch those ball players, and more materially, how on Saturday afternoon they can go see their children playing sports on that same field. We'll have the same sorts of things with concerts, with evangelicals, holiday ceremonies and, and um, that sort of thing. Mm. We expect in that ballpark because of seasonality and the circumstances in the South, we can put 250 events a year into that facility, only 70 of which are openings for the Atlantic League. That is truly becoming a part of the community. Gastonia has a population that is roughly split 50-50 between people of color and people who happen to be white. We believe that Brandon Bellamy and his organization create the perfect fit for a puzzle piece that has been long overdue in the professional ranks. I hasten to add that just like every one of our other owners, Mr. Bellamy went through a significant vetting process. We are confident that he has the stability and the dedication to the community and to the league to be a very productive partner amongst our other owners. He's already remotely, but uh, has already attended a number of meetings uh, and has proven to be a great member of our board. He offers up ideas. He listens intently. He's learning every day about our league and where we're headed. And they are enjoying terrific success. I should add, just as a plug for the club, they're currently going through a naming contest. They've <laughs> uh, selected with fan input five different names, uh, all of which are going to be endemic to that community. 
and uh, they're allowing fans to vote and fans are going to actually select the winning, the winning name. So that's really exciting too. We'll have a, a new name for that ball club somewhere in November. So we're excited about that as well. But, you know, we're all systems go in Gastonia. This is our second club in North Carolina. It was important. We have travel partners in North Carolina. And what we're doing is we're illustrating to the professional baseball community at large that we can do forward thinking things off the field as well as on the field and that we bring true relevancy with our league to professional play wherever we expand to. So I'm, I'm very pleased to share with you that notwithstanding other events going on in, in baseball right now, quite apart from anything having to do with traditional minor leagues, we're in conversations with almost a half a dozen communities that want to bring our brand of baseball to their locations? Well, this is the question that I probably get more than most other questions. Everyone is always fascinated with Atlantic League expansion. It's been the case, at least since I've been in the league since 2014, I'm sure you get peppered with this question as well. Every, everyone's always just, because it's just fun. I mean, honestly, it's a fun conversation to have. It's, you know, seeing where the league can go, who's going to come in, like all, all of those elements. It's just it's just, I'm sure it, it's pretty stressful for you. I'm sure there's a lot of conversations, but at least from fans' perspectives, it's always fun to, to sort of guess and, and see what's going to happen. Um, so I, I guess to introduce that part of the conversation, can you speak to what, and this is actually echoing some fan questions. I know there was one from Nick Firestone um, that, that asked this, so that's kind of bringing in. I've seen some other people um, have asked this as well. But can, can you speak to what the league looks for in a new market? What, what are some of the criteria that you're looking for when you're exploring some of these new markets? You, you know, the you first know, one's the, the obvious, obvious one, right? right? We, we look, look for a location, location that wants us as, as much as we, we desire them. Of course. But when we're, <laughs> we're evaluating the community, and this, this, I think this will, will kind of answer, answer Mr. Firestone's inquiry. inquiry. We look we for several, several things. things. Number one, we look, we look hard, hard at population density. And, and the, the demographics, demographics of that, of that population. population. You know, you know our, our biggest, biggest money maker in terms of revenue, revenue has to do with attendance. attendance. So, so we, we want to make sure we're in a community that, that will support, support the team. team. Second, Second, we look, we look at, at a corporate, corporate community. community. Uh, one, uh, one doesn't, doesn't have, have to go, to go too far in any minor league ballpark to realize how important the corporate community is, whether it's a naming rights deal, outfield signage, sponsorship of a team, or nights and that sort of thing. Without, Without corporate, corporate support, support, we don't, we don't survive. survive. And, and again, again, I should, I should add, add that during, during this year of all years, years the, support the support across the league, league of sponsors, sponsors has, has been, been absolutely terrific. And, and we should take time out to say thank you to them. Third, we look for circumstances that have to do with family entertainment. We always track how many movie theaters are within driving distance of a potential ballpark location. We take a look at other family out, uh, activities like putt -put golf, like other professional sporting goods team or sports teams, uh, other sorts of things like amusement parks and, and that kind of thing. Because of that, what we're trying to do is to find a sweet spot in terms of pricing, but also a sweet spot in terms of diversity. Now, 
Selfishly, it's great for us in Gastonia. I will tell you, there is not a movie theater in town. <laughs> um, but it is a gateway to an outdoor community where they have a great many outdoor activities, whether it has to do with river rafting, kayaking, river kayaking, hiking, trekking, bicycling. All of that is good because we believe healthy communities are the communities we want to be in because healthy parents tend to have healthy children who tend to play sports. And if we can get them in the habit of coming to our ballparks, then we're building long-term fans for our members. Lastly, we look for a circumstance where the community is going to, the community leaders, the, the elected leaders are going to support the team. We aren't looking for subsidies or giveaways, but the economics of building ballparks have evolved to such a point that in order to justify a long-term sustainable payback to the community, we much prefer a ballpark where development, usually commercial or residential development, will be inspired by the ballpark as an anchor versus, and you've seen many of these, Mark, ballparks that are built on the margins of town in a vast desert of asphalt where they're asking people to drive out of town to go to the game. We'd rather they drive in town so they support local suppliers, service providers, uh, restaurants, retailers, and so forth. That's where you get the long-term sustainability. Uh, and again, the Patriots have paved the way for countless others all you have to do is go to TD Bank Ballpark, take a look behind home plate, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's an interesting point, and I, I think that's evidenced by what we saw with High Point last year, is yep. really sparking uh, development in that entire area um, in that city. And you can see all the construction that's going on around the ballpark, and that you're just going to revitalize that entire area. Um, Within six months of opening that ballpark, there were $120 million of commitments to improve downtown High Point. That number has now grown to over $150 million, all because of the High Point Rockers. Uh, enlightened leadership uh, supported us all the way through. I could name names, but they prefer to remain anonymous. But I will tell you that community is actively supporting the ballpark in a way that we had never dreamt possible. You know, obviously there's a lot going on with minor league baseball right now. Uh, does your criteria change at all with uh, a community that might already have an existing ballpark or an existing franchise? Or does the criteria sort of remain the same regardless of what, uh, of whether or not that's a community that's already had baseball might be? The broad criteria remains the same. More specifics, though, uh, become evident when you start to dig into the details. So if there's already an existing ballpark, we try to look at some metrics that most people might not consider at first blush. Now, I'm talking to a broadcaster and executive who works at a place that features one of the greatest fields <laughs> in professional baseball. Um, the ballpark is immaculate, but the condition of the surface of your field at TD Bank Ballpark is incredible. 
and it's been noticed at the highest levels of the game. We, however, are working toward a different media as it relates to ballpark surfacing. We know that artificial surfaces do a couple of things that are truly meaningful for what we like. So if there's an existing ballpark, we at least explore the idea of artificial surface. Why? One, you can recover more quickly from rain delays and weather postponements. Mm. Two, the surface is not only sustainable in the ecological sense, but it's sustainable and economical over the long term. It will last at least two, usually three times as long as a natural grass surface. Third, it's easier to maintain. And fourth, and most importantly in terms of that recreational asset I talked about before, we want children and we want middle schools and high schools and college athletes to play in our facilities. We prefer diamond sports, that's what we're all about, but we are increasingly tuned into field sports, whether it's rugby or lacrosse or soccer or field hockey, because we want people to feel as if this environment is one that they can participate in and on, and they can do so for years to come. That's an important part of that habitualization I talked about before. Mm. And then, of course, we want to know that people are going to come, and uh, that usually has to do with the organizations that you know our teams put together. Uh, we are absolutely graced by incredible organizations throughout the Atlantic League, and we want to continue that pattern anywhere that we expand to. Mm. I would be remiss if I didn't mention our head groundskeeper's name, Dan Perner. Um, he does a tremendous job with our field. So I want to make sure. I know Dan, I don't think he has a Facebook. I don't know if he does too much with technology, but um, he does a tremendous job with our field. So I want to make sure that we get his name. Well, and he's won, he's won the league-wide award that was named after your first groundskeeper. That's right. Um, so Somerset should be really proud of, of his facility from the ground up, literally from the ground up. We are, we are, absolutely. Um, so we're getting into the final stretch of our conversation here. Um, we only have uh, about seven minutes left. Um, I have one final question on expansion, and then we'll sort of pivot to more fan questions and the overall state of baseball. Um, mm -hmm. it, in the July 30th press release that the Atlantic League uh, released saying that they were accepting applications for new markets... Um, the league mentioned that they were looking anywhere from two to four new markets that would include Gastonia, and we've already discussed Gastonia. I is there at this point maybe like a target number that the Atlantic League is interested in? Um, this also goes to a question I see from, from David Screevines. Um, is there a target number that the Atlantic League has in mind for a 2021 season? You know, we, we have two criteria. Um, uh, to answer your question directly, uh, in 2021, we think we could be a 10 or 12. We like the number 12 a lot. Um, we're beginning to see something now that we've never been able to truly contemplate in past years. Major League Baseball, in part due to our request and the informed efforts of people like Frank Bolton, our chairman, Steve Caliper, chairman emeritus of the ball club, and others, has listened when we've asked them to drop the heretofore prohibition between national association owners mm. being able to purchase 
partner league teams. And with the discussions that we've had, and again, with some enlightenment at Major League Baseball, that prohibition is going to go away. So increasingly now, I am fielding calls from affiliated team owners who are saying, you know, I want to hedge my bets. I'd like to consider investing in an Atlantic League team. Can you imagine? I mean, this is... Again, having been around this for quite some time, and Mark, you you know started with the Ducks and you moved over to the Patriots. You know that that couldn't happen in the past. It's a truly remarkable circumstance, and it's it's something that, again, every organization in our league takes great pride in. We've come a long way in a relatively short amount of time. Well, I think that's a great place to end our conversation. A lot of fascinating interesting, exciting stuff that's going on with baseball and, of course, more specifically, the Atlantic League. Rick, thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule tonight to have this conversation. I know our fans really appreciate it, and and I really appreciate it as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Something Patriots podcast. The Somerset Patriots would like to thank the presenting sponsor of the podcast, RWJ Barnabas Health. They would also like to thank the supporting sponsors, TD Bank and Flemington Car and Truck Country with proud sponsorship from T-Mobile, NJM Insurance, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, and NJIT. Other thanks go to Flemington Department Store, AARP New Jersey, Sanofi, and Financial Resources Federal Credit Union, all valued partners of the Somerset Patriots. The Something Patriots podcast airs live on the Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC and on WCTCAM.com, with the archived versions also available for download on SomersetPatriots.com and on participating podcast platforms. The show is written, hosted, and edited by me, Mark Schwartz. It is produced by Jack Myatt, Ginny Ott, and the entire team at 1450 WCTC.